Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to another edition of Stand Up For The Truth. We are going to be talking about the gospel and evangelism and reasons why Christians should share the gospel, also reasons why we don't. A lot of information we'll go through today and hopefully to encourage you and just to um, just get us ready for that next opportunity that God will bring along our, our path. Our guest, Jay Seeger, will be joining us after we open in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for uh, this day to talk about things that are, are so important, Lord, and, and we get so busy in our lives, so forgive us for um, allowing that busyness and, and just this things of this world to distract us, and we ask, Lord, that you would uh, just give us your peace right now and remind us, Lord, that you are in us, your Holy Spirit leads us and guides us, and we don't have to worry about having all the answers when we talk to people about you, we don't have to defend you. The, the word does a good job of that. We just need to point them to Jesus and the truth the best we can. And I know you want to use us, Lord. Soften our hearts and help us be more willing to talk to others about such an important issue, their spiritual life, their eternal destiny. And Father, use us. May your will be done in our lives. May your will be done in our community, in this country, and on earth as it is in heaven. We praise you and uh, thank you for this day. And we commit this hour to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're uh, talking, of course, today about the Great Commission. And uh, we have a job to do while we're here. That's why each one of us is still here, if you're living and here, if you hear our voices this morning. But we want to welcome back Jay Seeger to the Starting Point Project. Thanks for joining us again today, Jay. Hey, it's always an honor to be on the show. How are you guys today? We're doing well, blessed, encouraged to talk about this because I know this, sometimes we have to get back to the basics and encourage those who are listening uh, and remind them, as Scripture often reminds us, why we're here and uh, the jobs we have to do. And you have a question of the month, and that's the title of our podcast today, What on Earth Are You Doing? Want to give us a little uh, kind of an overview of what that's about? Sure. And the first thing I'd want to say is this is really meant to be an encouragement and not a condemnation. Mm-hmm. Uh, often when we point out shortcomings in our own lives or someone else's life, uh, we can get kind of defensive or feel down about it, feel condemned. And it's not very motivating to really change anything. You just kind of feel bad and you typically want to avoid those situations. So I don't intend this topic to to come from that angle. I really want it to be an encouragement. Let's admit maybe where we've fallen short and can step it up a little bit. And so when we think about sharing our faith in my question of the month, I threw out a, a generic scenario of if you had a job as a salesperson for a company and it was like 95% of your responsibility for that job would be contacting customers. Well, if you only spent 75% of your time doing that, you know, how would that be looked upon? Well, probably not the best. What if it was only 50%? What if it was only 20%? Obviously, you wouldn't be in that position much longer, and understandably so, uh, and you would understand yourself that, okay, I really wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Well, when you turn it to a spiritual conversation and you think about what's basically the one thing that we can do here on earth that's very good and positive that we actually can't do in heaven and that might stump people initially but well it's it's witnessing sharing our faith with the lost we certainly won't be able to do that in heaven and so then you think about you know you're being a christian yourself and being here on this earth why when you place your faith in christ don't you just get zapped up to heaven right away that would certainly be much better for us i think really arguably the the main reason why god does it maybe the sole reason is so that we can remain here and share the same message we just received with others who maybe either haven't heard it yet or don't 
quite understand it yet. So God wants us to stay here and to share the light that we've received with others around us. So if that's pretty much the main reason we're here, how much time do we spend? What are we doing on earth? What are we doing with our time? Are we spending 75%, 50 20 Realistically, uh, it could be 0.1% or less for, for many Christians, and so that's what we want to talk about. If we would all agree that witnessing is so important, why do we spend such a small percentage of our time doing that? Thank you, Jay. And let's talk about that analogy you brought up. Um, you're employed at a company. Well, we are not employed necessarily by God, but we are citizens of heaven. And if you're born again, if you're a believer, if you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, um, we are ambassadors for Christ. Uh, the authority, our boss in our worldly, earthly jobs, our boss is our authority. We answer to him. In the spiritual dimension or in just who we are, we, we answer to Jesus. Jesus is our authority. reminds me of, of just Matthew 28, when it says in verse 18, Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. But he said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So he is who we answer to. He is our authority. So if we get that lined up first, that is our foundation. So now we know who we are answering to. Does that help us when it comes to not not being motivated to share the gospel, but just understanding that Jesus is our authority and he said go? It it really is true. It's very impactful when you, you think it through logically. He, he doesn't say, hey, if you get a chance, you know, maybe go out and talk to some people if you can. It's a command. He commands us to go out, and it, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to Papua New Guinea. Uh, if God calls you there, you should go. But what I found, too, is I've met a number of people in my life were very passionate about becoming missionaries. That was kind of their goal when they were, uh, as they were a little bit younger in life at that time, and they dreamed about being, you know, missionary in China, Papua New Guinea, or somewhere, which is great. But what I found to be very interesting is many of them, not all of them, but many of them spent virtually no time. Uh, witnessing to those right around them, their next door neighbors, their classmates, their you know friends, cousins, whomever it would be. <laughs> I think it's interesting. You have this passion to go share the gospel across the world. I'm surprised that you wouldn't be doing that here to begin with, you know, just naturally. So it's something that we should be doing more of, and we are commanded. And if we are followers of Christ, we should be paying attention to what he's telling us to do, and then that should be very tangible. It, it's not something very vague. You either are doing it or you aren't, and there should be specific examples. If someone were to come up to you and say, could you tell me how many people in this past year, 2019, last year, you know, did you actually share your faith with, you know, very specifically? And again, for many Christians, they'd, they'd have a hard time thinking of maybe even one person they had, had a chance to really share with. Which, you know, leaves us asking this question, how come we don't say, you know, I can only tell you a few of them right now. There's tons and tons, but I'll give you a few examples. Why aren't we coming from that position more so than racking our brains trying to think of someone we may have talked to? That's a good point. And before we got on the air, Jay, we were talking about briefly uh, social media. And the question I want to hear, uh, well, your response to is, does that count when it comes to sharing our faith or sharing the gospel when we do it on social media or a website or a blog or whatever that might be? I think it certainly can count. I wouldn't say that it's a great substitute for talking to people one-on-one, -on -one, individually, in person. In person, you know, right, right. 
Yeah, I think we can take advantage of the technology and, you know, we know that nothing in and of itself is good or bad. It can be used for good or bad. The internet, we know many ways it can be used for bad, but there's a lot of good things there too. I mean, just think of the access we have to all the different, you know, Bible commentaries and the Bible you can get on your phone. And I had a live TV interview last night and before I went in, I was, you know, reading the Bible on my phone, sitting in the car before I went in and, you know, it couldn't have done that a number of years ago but so we can take advantage <laughs> of that and we and we should actually you know be doing things with social media to share but we don't want again two things number one we don't want that to be a substitute for actually talking to our next door neighbor and then secondarily uh, be very very careful in getting caught up in debates online yes i'm i'm not saying god can can't use those sometimes he does but way too often people get sucked into that and it's just an endless retort of back and forth and back and forth and a mm-hmm. lot of the people on the other end of that uh, have no interest in learning truth they are not open whatsoever they just like to spew and they have an avenue now through the internet where they maybe wouldn't have been bold enough to do that but now you can go on the internet and say anything you want and i know many christians who've gotten pulled into that i've I've known some christians who have walked away from their faith because of that Mm -hmm. because they weren't able to answer all these questions they got frustrated they wondered if there really were answers when they were really dealing with someone who wasn't out there looking for truth most people who really want to know the truth aren't out there on these forums just spewing uh they go about it a different way so i'm not saying you can never do that but don't you got to be very careful not to get sucked into it. And again, certainly don't use that as a substitute for sharing with people uh, uh, in person. Yes, absolutely. I would agree. And uh, I'm glad you encouraged people not to get sucked into those sometimes uh, pointless or unproductive debates and arguments. Uh, Like I said, like you said, some people just don't want to change and they're just there to argue. Um, that's, that shouldn't be us. Although Paul reasoned from the scriptures, he argued for the faith when he went into a new town, when he was in the synagogue, but he did it a different way. And he used reason, he used the scriptures. The Jews knew the Old Testament scriptures. He was there in person teaching them and walking them through. But uh, Jay, I'm glad you brought up that fact that you had an interview. It's, I've never done an interview in my car, I don't think. That's, uh, that's I'm just picturing that, you sitting in your car and someone's interviewing you. But I do want to bring up uh, your next live broadcast uh, you're going to do tomorrow. Can you tell people about that? Well, by the way, we're talking with Jay Seeger of the Starting Point Project. Uh, So, Jay, tell us about your live broadcast, how people can connect or watch or ask questions or whatever. Sure. It's uh, something we do monthly. Sometimes we take a few months off in the summer, but it's a live stream broadcast. It'll be basically me speaking for 30 minutes, live video, and then um, while you're watching, you can actually type in questions from the screen, hit submit, we get it instantly, and then when I'm done speaking for about 30 minutes or so, we do about 30 minutes uh, of Q&A. We read the questions and answer them. So to access this, it's super simple. You don't have to sign up for anything. You don't have to register ahead of time. You don't have to install software on your computer. All you have to do is go to our website, which is thestartingpointproject.com, thestartingpointproject.com. You pull it up. That's it. On that homepage, you will see a little video screen, and at 7.30 p.m. tomorrow night and 9.30 p.m., we repeat the show so that we can hit the east and the west coast. Um, 7.30 and 9.30 p.m., you pull up the website, you'll see me uh, at, you know, at 7.30, 9.30 starting to speak for about 30 minutes, and then we take a little 90-second commercial break, and then we come back and we do live Q&A. Awesome. You can also, from that page, scroll down and click on archives, and then you'll see all of our past shows that you can just watch on your own time. Those are the live shows that were recorded that are archived now, so it's just a great resource uh, tomorrow night i'm going to be highlighting actually portions of each of our talks i've got 10 major talks that i give fairly regularly and we're going to be giving highlights probably i'm, I'm guessing the for you know five of the 10 i'll describe what each talk is about what it focuses on and then i'll pull out some really cool snippets that are just fascinating from each one and then 
I'm guessing next month, I haven't decided yet, but next month will probably be part two and we'll cover the other five talks with highlights of that as well. But the portion I like is the live Q&A that you can just literally just type something in, hit a button, and then we'll pull up on our screen and, and address it afterwards. And that's tomorrow night and uh, thestartingpointproject.com for uh, the live stream broadcast with Jay Siegert. And seven, did you say seven or 7.30, Jay? Uh, 7.30 and 9.30 p.m., same show. Yep. 7.30 and 9.30 p.m. Central Time. Okay, back to um, the uh, reasons that we should be sharing the gospel. I found a helpful article from Ray Comfort at Living Waters, whom I believe you've been at a few events with or you've spoken uh, with him. Um, Simply, he just said, we've we've been commanded to do so. And also, another major reason, hell exists it's a very real place, and Jesus said, I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. That's Luke twelve five. So if hell didn't exist, we would have uh, a legitimate excuse, maybe, for being passive when it comes to sharing our faith, but hell is a very real place, so we should have that compassion for people knowing that regardless of what people think about God, a loving God, they say, would never send someone to hell or never allow someone to go to hell. Well, we can talk about that from a standpoint of apologetics, but understanding the Bible, what the Bible teaches that hell is a very real place. Jay, how important is it to remind people that we've got to have the compassion to tell them and warn them, right? Definitely. I just is semi-strange, but um, I, I'm a huge football fan, not quite as big with baseball or basketball, and I just don't really have time to keep up with a lot of that anymore. But I'd like to go to a game or two of the Brewers in the summer, just it's nice to be outside. And so I'm sitting at the stadium, and there's, you know, what, 35, 40,000 people sitting around me, and we're enjoying the game. But it, all of a sudden, it becomes kind of surreal. And I'm looking around at the, let's say, 35,000 people, and I'm, I'm guessing that the vast majority are not saved. I'm mm. sure most of them are religious. Most of them believe in God. A lot of them would say they believe in Jesus. It's not a personal relationship. They just believe he existed. He was a good guy, good moral teacher, but they're not truly saved. So with that in mind, I'm looking around thinking, with that logic, it's not my judgment. It's using the logic of Scripture. The majority of people around here in the stadium right now, when they mm. die, they will go to hell. Mm. I'm sitting here in the midst of all of them. I know the solution. I know that they need to place their trust in Jesus Christ. They have their sins forgiven, and they can spend eternity with God. I know the solution for all of their problem. Mm. And I'm sitting there, and I don't say anything, and we enjoy the game, and everyone goes on their way. They go home, I go home. And now I'm not saying I need to go around and witness to everyone in the stadium and grab a <laughs> mic and have everyone hear me. That's that's not realistic, but it's it wakes me up thinking this is so odd, especially if I make it more personal and think about maybe some guy you're sitting next to. You know, you have a seat with your friends on the right and some strangers on the left. This person, you know, very likely is not a Christian. They will not be in heaven for eternity. I'm sitting right next to them. I know the solution for that, and I don't say a word. I just say, "Oh, this is a great game," or "It's a terrible game," or "It's so nice out," or you know, "Hey, where do you where do you live?" And you know, and, and then you go home. And I'm not saying it's terrible to have normal interactions like that, but what would keep me from bringing it up and at least saying something to the person I'm next to? I can't reach the person across the stadium, but. I could affect one person's life, hmm. you know, for eternity. And so I just, I'm trying to myself be more aware of those opportunities that we can get into that, you know, towards the end of the interview of how you can get some of those things to come up more specifically. Yeah, I think sometimes, Jay, we think about, you know, we are never going to be able to reach hundreds and thousands of people and we're never going to be a Billy Graham or, or, or a Franklin Graham or with some of the great uh, preachers, the Dwight L. Moody's, the Charles Spurgeon's, the, the George Whitfield and on down the list. Um, we're never going to be like that. And it's, uh, we, we just lose the simplicity of relationships we're already in because each one of us has a sphere of influence and it's so easy to... I don't know, look and, and feel like we're not being, 
used by God or we are insignificant because we're not reaching mass amounts of people. But there are a few parables and a few teachings from Jesus about the importance of saving that one. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I mean, Jesus, you know, the lost sheep and things like that. Mm-hmm. And and people get too caught up in, oh, I can't change the world. Yeah. Thinking, no, you, you can't. None of us can. But the good news is you read the Bible from cover to cover. It never asks us to change the world. Mm. It asks us to make disciples, share the gospel, make disciples. If every Christian did that, you know what? The world would change. But the goal isn't to change the world. The goal is to share the gospel. And when you're doing that to your next door neighbor, and then a week later, a coworker, and you just kind of casually do that throughout your life, that's what God wants you to do. That's what you're responsible. You're never going to stand before God, and he's going to look at you and say, why didn't you change the entire planet? It's not going to come up. He's not going to ask that. He's going to say, you know, you live next to your neighbor for 10 years, 20 years. 30 years how come you never shared the gospel yeah he know he knows you went to church but how come you never shared the gospel you know what are we going to say at that point mm. there are some obstacles to evangelism that you and I uh, we've talked about on this program you've written about quite a bit and we can also talk about um, reasons that we don't witness more which uh, you sent me some uh, bullet points but you know just the the obvious ones we just talked about the impo- the reality of hell and a lack of compassion because if there is a hell if that is a real place and there and, and people have a choice on what to believe and where they would like to spend eternity my goodness we should be compassionate toward them and want them to be saved also apathy that's one i think that maybe most people I can identify with that one. Um, Lack of knowledge of the Word of God or knowledge of the gospel, I think, Jay, that kind of ties in with fear, maybe fear of public speaking or fear of sharing anything at all. But lack of knowledge, people seem to think they they need to know more than they do um, when the gospel, the simplicity, and the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And so how many times do you run into that where Christians say, well, I just don't know enough of the Word of God? Well, yeah, very frequently, and most people think they don't know as much as they should, and everyone doesn't know as much as they should. I don't know as much as I should, Me but <laughs> you got to start somewhere, and the, mm-hmm. the power isn't in our eloquence. The power is in the Word of God, so at very minimum, tell your story. How is it that you know you're saved? Explain to someone what you did to become saved, and then you could even point them to at least a few verses. You know, if, if you don't know any verses in the Bible— <laughs> You kind of wonder, where are you in your faith? Are you really saved if you can't even point out the verses that you base your salvation on? If you at least know one verse, you could at least point the skeptic to a that verse, saying, according to this verse, you know, this is how I know that I'm saved. This is the requirement. This is what God requires. So it isn't in our ability to wax eloquent and go on and on defending our faith. That, that'll that happen over time. You'll get better and better at it, but you got to start somewhere. And I'll just share a quick analogy as to how important this can be. And I, and I want everyone listening to go through this exercise. I want everyone to think of someone they know right now that they're, you know, they're pretty sure is not saved. You know, we never know for sure, for sure, for sure. But <laughs> a lot of times, like, okay, you can pretty be pretty much confident you know. this person's not saved. <laughs> so someone you know that's not saved that you're fairly close to in some some manner. And now I want you to picture by some freak accident, you both pass away, yourself and this unsaved person. You both pass away same time. And I'm not saying it actually plays out this way. This is just a visual here. So you both pass away. Now you are standing in line at the pearly gates waiting for your turn in front of God. And um, you get up to God and he looks at you and says, why should I let you into my heaven? All right, I'm sorry, uh, this person you know is first. So they get up there and God asks them, why should I let you into my heaven? And they give the typical response. Well, you know, I... I know I didn't do the best, but I tried. You know, you, you know my heart, and I worked hard. I couldn't always go to church because I was busy, but, you know, on and on and on, and I did all these good things. And God says, you know, I never knew you depart from me into eternal condemnation. And their head goes down, and they start walking away, and then you're next. God looks at you and says, why should I let you into my heaven? And you say, I do not deserve to be here. However, you sent your son to die on a cross to pay for my sins, to pay my penalty so that I could spend eternity with you. And he says, enter into eternity. And you start walking into heaven. And your friend turns to you and says, well, wait a minute, where are you going? So I'm going into heaven. 
says, well, how, how did you get in? Well, I, I knew that, you know, I had to place my trust in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior for the forgiveness of my sins. He looks at you and goes, you, you knew that was the answer and you didn't tell me? Well, I didn't, I didn't want you to think I was judging you or, you know, thought I was better than you or I didn't want to upset you in any way. It's like you, in a sense, risked my eternity because you didn't want to feel bad. You know, and again, I'm not saying it literally plays out that way, but it's kind of like that when we don't share our faith with someone. Like, why in the world would we not tell someone if we're convinced it's true? Mm, amen. We're with Jay Seeger at the Starting Point Project. When we come back, we're going to talk about some scriptures that you can actually share. Also, more reasons, more motivation for us why we we should share the gospel on Stand Up For The Truth. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Talking about reasons we should be sharing the gospel, sharing our faith. Also, obstacles to evangelism with Jay Seeger of the Starting Point Project. Remember, he's got a live broadcast where you can interact and ask questions tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m. Central Time. To go to thestartingpointproject.com. Um, Jay, a lot of scriptures that we can encourage our listeners to go to to uh, share with people. Um, I think of one that's not too common that we don't often think of about repentance in the gospel, and that's Luke chapter 13, where in verse 3, Um, Jesus says, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he said, do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's one of the verses we don't hear uh, quoted too often when it comes to sharing our faith, isn't it? No, it, it isn't, and it sounds kind of harsher. I mean, it really hits you, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of Christians don't want to be quite that bold, that don't want to offend somebody, uh, don't want the other person to react negatively towards that, but that's what Scripture is saying. So if the other person is saying, well, you know, as long as I'm a good person, that's what really what's required, and I always ask them, you know, okay, that's very interesting. Thank you for sharing with me your thoughts on, you know, how someone gets to heaven. As long as you're a good person, I just have follow-up questions, you know, Help me understand, what do you mean by good? How do you know if someone is good? And then, you know, they'll give a response, and you you continue to ask follow-up questions, and it won't take long for them to realize they're making kind of a vague assertion without any real specifics or any ultimate foundation behind it, because I'll ask them, what makes more sense when you die and stand before God that he will end up judging you according to whatever standard of good you came up with? Or would he judge you by his own standard? Mm. And I have yet to have someone say that they think God will judge everyone by whatever standard they made up. They, <laughs> they think, well, yeah, it makes sense that it would be God's standard. I said, okay, then it makes it really important to find out what are God's standards. So, you know, going to Luke there, this is one of the things, unless you repent, you're not getting into heaven. So that's one of the, you know, the standards, repentance. And then you read you know, more scripture and find out what does that repentance mean. Another one that uh, most of us know are more familiar with is Romans uh, 10, uh, verse 8 through 10. What does it say? The word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart, the word of faith which we are preaching. Verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then it explains, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. And it goes on to say, whoever, whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if you're looking for verses that you can share with someone in the moment, that's Romans 10, verses 8 through 13. Uh, There's only a few verses in there you can focus on, but that's a good section of Scripture. Jay, what do you think? Oh, very powerful, the whole Romans road, you know, Romans 3.23 and 6.23 and so on, leading people through that. And I think uh, there's so many things swimming around in my mind right now. <laughs> scripture scripture is so powerful. When you just turn to Scripture, at that point, you're, you're not saying, hey, listen to my philosophy, what I've come up with. You're saying, let me help you understand what the Bible is claiming, because most skeptics, 
have an opinion of the Bible based on what someone else told them. Like, mm-hmm. well, it's filled with errors and contradictions, disproved by science, it's outdated, there's so many different versions, missing portions, extra stuff got shoved in there, so they don't believe the Bible because of all those things they quote know. Well, they don't know any of those things. Someone else told them that. So as Christians, we need to do a good job of helping them properly understand the Bible, what it actually claims for itself, showing them Scripture. The power is in Scripture itself. Isaiah 55, 11 says that God's word will never return void. It will always accomplish that which what God wants to have happen. Amen. And the way I see that is that if I'm traveling around telling people about the complexities of DNA, God does not guarantee me that that's going to do anything for them or convince them or change their mind. But he does say when I share scripture itself, flipping the Bible open and reading a verse or quoting it from memory, when we share God's own words, it's guaranteed to not return void. And this is how I see that being played out. When you share scripture, like those passages from Romans chapter 10, very powerful. When you share that, it will either be used to convict and convert the person, which is what God wants, but he's not going to twist their arm. He's not going to force that. Or it will be used to condemn them, that they heard the truth and they chose to reject it. It's not up to us for the outcome, which decision they make. It's just Mm -hmm. up to us to share that with them. The Holy Spirit does all the heavy lifting. So going to Scripture and sharing with people what the Bible actually says, what God's standard is, is very, very powerful. takes the pressure off of us. We don't have to prove the Bible. We just need to share its truth with other people. Yes, and, and obedience, our obedience when it comes to this, you know, sharing our faith with people, that's evidence of salvation. And if we are afraid or uh, if we have anxiety about sharing, if we have a sense of inadequacy, which a lot of us do, depending on who you're talking to, we don't, most of the time we don't feel adequate or equipped, but that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. If you're a born-again believer, you have the Spirit of God in you, and let that sense of maybe anxiety or fear drive you to your knees and, and, and ask God for strength and the wisdom to just share with people. And so don't let that stop you. Uh, obedience is important. And Jesus said, go and share. Uh, some would say, Jay, and I want to get your take on this, that to remain silent is a sin. So in other words, to be, that whether, it, whether it's being ashamed of the gospel or not, let's just say people don't speak up, people don't share their faith ever. Is that a sin? Well, definitely, you know, when you think of sins as, oh, you go rob a bank. That's a <laughs> sin of commission. You committed something, you know, a, a, an illegal act. You robbed a bank. But there are sins of omission, things that we omit to do. We don't do. And when we're commanded to preach the gospel and we don't, then that is sinful in and of itself. You know, I understand people's intentions are good, but, you know, we're not just judged by our intentions. And if you think, here's just another analogy, you know, many people go through having cancer. And some people, they go through it and they get a treatment and it cures them and they are so fired up and they share it with everyone they can. Now, they're not a doctor. They don't know much about biology and DNA and cancer cells and all this all they know is they had cancer and they don't anymore and they try to do the best they can but telling everyone they can even if someone say well you're not a doctor how did this work how did that work i i'm not really sure all i know is that it worked you know and they're so excited to tell someone how much more excited should we be about our salvation we we know that we have discovered the truth. And even if we can't explain it perfectly to everyone, we should be compelled to share it with others. And again, let the Holy Spirit step in and then do all the heavy lifting. And you mentioned the Holy Spirit. As we are saved, God's Spirit comes to dwell in us. Uh, the Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as a deposit in our hearts, guaranteeing our inheritance guaranteeing what is to come. Um, as soon as the Holy Spirit was given, the apostles began to preach the gospel, and and God used them and moved through them mightily. And I want want to just go to a couple of scriptures in the Book of Acts, Jay, where w- when good news spreads and travels, and that is not only contagious but that is powerful. And when you're talking about God and the gospel. That's even better news. So Acts 12, 24 says, but the word of God increased and multiplied, multiplied. Acts 13, 49, and the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. 
Acts 19, verse 20. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Now, I know you know the answer to this, Jay, but for our listeners, is the word of God spreading or increasing or multiplying or prevailing mightily in America? Well, that's it is a, a good question, and in pockets, it certainly is. Overall, we're I, I believe my opinion, uh, we're going downhill. We're moving more towards where Europe is. It seems like the history of Europe is something that we shadow shortly after, mm. and they're becoming more agnostic and atheistic, and we're starting to lose our biblical foundations and, and getting further and further away from that, even within the the larger Christian church, it's becoming more watered down in not every church. Some are doing a great job. Yes, uh, yes. But in many churches, it's getting watered down, staying away from controversial issues. Things are now being considered, well, that's a social issue, so we, we don't address that. No, it, they're all biblical issues. Things in The Bible comments on virtually anything that we're dealing with. There's nothing new under the sun, but the secular society has hijacked things and saying that's a social issue. And we say, okay, I won't say, I won't bring the Bible into it. It's like, as soon as we leave the Bible out, we're done. We've, we've lost mm-hmm. because the Bible is the ultimate source of, you know, for us, the ultimate source of authority. So when someone brings up a, quote, social issue, we shouldn't just blab and give our philosophy. We should say, hold on a second. Let me see what God's word has to say about that. Yes. Um, and again, we're just sharing God's word directly. And, you know, Romans eight sixteen says that God's spirit confirms with our spirit that we are truly saved, that should give us so much confidence when we're out in the world around us that, you know, greater is he that is within us than he that is in the world. We're to share the truth, and and again, we're not responsible for the results of sharing that truth, but we are responsible for sharing, and we need to do that more and more often. I agree, and I like what you said about it just, it's not a social issue. It, you know, they've tried to Get the word, remove the word of God and influence of Christianity from our society, from our culture, from the public square. They've um, abused the concept of the separation of church and state. And uh, we've talked about that in the past, how now what we're seeing in America is essentially the, the separation of Christianity and state, because there are a lot of religions that people have no problem with, a lot of religious meditations, a lot of, whether that's uh, Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or uh, a Wicca, you know, witchcraft, all these other things, uh, but don't bring Jesus into it. Don't bring the biblical Christianity. Jay, a uh, quick question about um, some who would say, hey, I'm, I'm, I try to be a good example. I tr- I'm leading a godly life, trying to walk with Jesus every day. Um, I'm letting my light shine. Um, can we, I know that's one of the scriptures, but do we sometimes take that out of context and use that as an excuse for not opening our mouths and sharing the gospel? I know we do because I did for many years. I really, you know, was fairly naive thinking if I just live a different life, people are going to notice it and they're going to say, wow, there's something different about him. I bet he's placed his trust in Jesus yeah. Christ as his personal savior. <laughs> no, they don't it, go to that conclusion. <laughs> it didn't work that way. Yeah. They were either they were either like upset. It was like, why would they be upset? I'm trying to be so nice. Well, they were convicted internally, but they didn't want to say, well, I feel so convicted when I'm around you. They're not going to say that. They're going to judge you and just be all over you. They're either going to do that or they're going to say, yeah, he's a nice guy, you know, but they're not going to conclude that he must have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So, yes, we should let our light shine, but we should do so so that when we speak up verbally, it lines up with our life. If your life is just a mess and and you share the gospel, which you still should, that's going to come across strange to people saying, well, wait a minute, you, you say we got to place our trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, but then I don't understand. How come you're not really going to church? How come you're, you're out drinking and partying all the time? And, you know, this all, you know, whatever it might be, that would be strange and contradictory to them. So we should let our lights shine in such a way so that people walk away saying, I want to hate that guy, but he's actually nicer to me than my friends are, and there's something about him, something about him that's just drawing me to him. Well, that that would be the Holy Spirit that they don't really recognize yet, but that's what's drawing them is the Holy Spirit coming through in our life. So we want to make sure that that lines up with uh, what we're saying. 
Along those lines, I remember years ago, I'm talking about the late 1980s and early 1990s, I heard a quote that I just really loved, uh, but it it was, I think, Miss, uh, I think someone, St. Francis of Assisi uh, apparently said this, but I think what I studied from the history, I think he talked about the concept, he didn't specifically say these words, preach always, if necessary, use words. That's saying, let our lives just speak. Let let our good example speak. And if necessary, what, what does that mean? If your plane is going down <laughs> and people don't know you, are you then to share the gospel? So that, I, I don't like that idea because people use that as, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just letting my life speak. So what, what do you think about that quote, Jay? Preach always. If necessary, use words. It it sounds extremely creative and it's fun. It's like it's like yeah, that's my motto, <laughs> and I understand that on mm-hmm. the surface it sounds kind of cute and it's creative. I don't think it's biblical no. at all because people aren't going to come to Christ because they see you living differently. It should maybe be something that would initiate a deeper conversation, mm-hmm. but it can't stand on its own. Even when Jesus is here, and you think about it, Jesus was God, and everything he did was perfect, and people rejected him. Most people rejected him and hated him. So what chance do we have of just being nice and and drawing all these people to us? It doesn't work that way. God wants us to specifically share the gospel, and I've met, you know, and known many people who they, they do have that attitude of, well, I just I just try to, you know, live a different life, you know, so that others can kind of see that. It's like, okay, that's a, that's an interesting start, but you didn't get saved by someone else being good around you. You got saved because someone shared the gospel with you. Mm. And planted seeds, watered seeds, and discipleship comes into play. We're talking with Jay Siegert of the Starting Point Project. When we come back, more on evangelism, the gospel, and sharing our faith with those in our sphere of influence. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Jay Siegert of the Starting Point Project is our guest today, talking about evangelism, sharing the gospel, the, the most important thing we could ever talk about with anybody. And, uh, of course, uh, just with a sense of urgency, hopefully we are starting to uh, see that our time here is limited and understand that uh, the direction of the country and the world, of course, is going the way the Bible predicted it was going to go. And Jesus is going to be coming back to establish his kingdom. Um, But he also was talking to some of the most religious leaders of his day when he would preach in Jerusalem and the Pharisees, Sadducees would try to, uh, you know, well, they try to catch him in something he would say that was wrong. They could never do that, Jay. And he just uh, always astounded the people. He had so much wisdom. I wonder why, because he's God. But in John chapter 3, most of us are very familiar with John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we forget that from John 3, 1 all the way up to the 16th verse— there's a lot of good information on Jesus talking to Nicodemus, which is one of the most religious leaders there at that time, a Pharisee. In fact, they refer to him as, in, in one translation, I think it says the, a Pharisee of Pharisees. In other words, a leader of the religious leaders. And Nicodemus said, how can a man be born again when he is old? When Jesus said, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So Jay, you and I are talking about sharing the gospel and getting people to repent, confess their sins, trust in Jesus Christ, believe in their heart, God raised him from the dead. And how does being born again work into this? That's a great topic. Um, And there's a lot of Unfortunately, a lot of baggage with the term born again. Mm-hmm. First of, first and foremost, it's very, very biblical and it comes right from scripture, but it's been distorted over time. So people say, Oh, you're one of those born again Christians or, you know, <laughs> you're not just a regular Christian. You're one of those born agains. And it's very derogatory. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, for, for many different reasons, uh, hypocrisy within Christianity, whatever yes. it might be. Uh, spiritual blindness, certainly on the part of the skeptic, but it's a term that 
truly is biblical. And, you know, in the case of Nicodemus, yeah, he was a ruler of the Jews. He was told he had to be born again. And he's like thinking about being born again in the only way he could. Like, okay, I, I was born once. Or yeah, yeah. I need to do that again. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So this is this is real life. My, my wife and I were just talking this morning about uh, we're reading through reading through the Bible. Our church is reading through the whole Bible this year, and we're, we're in uh, Genesis and the story of Jacob and Esau, and there's a lot of strange things that happen. I said, yeah, the Bible just says it like it is. Mm-hmm. It's not always con- condoning everything, but, yeah, a lot of things happen, and it just explains it. So this is real life, you know. You got to be born again for someone who's not really religious. You tell them they need to be born again. What else can they think of other than what does it mean to be born? So Nicodemus is asking a very natural question, like, "What? I got to go back in my mother's womb?" And this kind of weird. And and then John explains, you know, no, this it's this is a spiritual thing going on. Of says that which is of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Yes, we've all been born physically, but we need to be born spiritually after that because we are born spiritually dead. We need to become spiritually alive. So he goes on to, you know, explain those things and. Mm-hmm. And so we, I'm not, tell, I'm not saying that when we witness, we shouldn't tell someone they need to be born again, but we need to understand, just like Nicodemus was confused by that, and it sounds strange, we shouldn't say be born again without explaining what we mean. Yeah. In fact, you might even want to just explain what you mean without using the term born again. Once they get the concept, you could say the Bible calls it being born again. And it's kind of like, yeah, you were born physically. Now you're born spiritually into the kingdom of God. And they're like, oh, that makes sense. If you say born again right away, they might ostracize you and stereotype you. Like, oh, you're one of those born again guys. You're fanatics. You're fundamentalists. All these terms they throw out that are so derogatory. But it is very specific. It's not, this is not just head knowledge. It's not just this academic thing. That's why it says with our heart, you know, we believe. It doesn't say with your head you understand. Hmm. Yes, there needs to be understanding, but it's not just, okay, fine. You you convince me it, it looks like Jesus was the Son of God. Does that mean that person's a Christian now because they've agreed academically that Jesus was the Son of God? No, it's Christianity mm-hmm. is not a religion. It is a relationship, which is a heart thing. Right, and Nicodemus, uh, you know, said, how can these things be? Jesus responded to him and said, uh, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? He's one of the most religious leaders, at, most religious men in the world at that time. And Jesus, right before the familiar verse we know, John three sixteen, verse 14, Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, and that's an Old Testament story we don't have time to get into, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So let's get to know John chapter 3 better as it flows into the very familiar verse of John 3.16. We see it in the end zones at football games, and most people can quote it but don't really understand. Uh, one verse you were talking about that, uh, Jay, earlier, a verse that I thought of as being a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. We are new creations. The old has gone. The new has come. So that's the concept of being born again of the Spirit. Very powerful. I mean, Scripture, there's so much power, and I've just had so many personal experiences where I'll be talking to someone about apologetics and a lot of the science stuff, which is is interesting, but it doesn't always seem to be very effective. And all of a sudden, we just kind of switch and I'm bringing up specific scripture and then it's like a deer in the headlights and I'm like wow the Holy Spirit is really working in this person and speaking to their spirit through his own word rather than my clever arguments and mm-hmm. what's encouraging is first John 5 11 through 13 when it says I write these things unto you so that you can know mm. that Assurance. you are saved yes and the, the Greek word there is very emphatic. It's not that so you can have a strong feeling. It's like, no, you can know for sure. And the only way that that's possible to know for sure, because you think on a human level, while well, you could study something and be pretty confident, but you can never really, 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 really know because you could have been wrong about something. Maybe there's something else you're going to learn later. That's true on an earthly level. But you go back to Romans 8.16, it says that God's spirit confirms with our spirit that we're sons of God. So it's not a head knowledge thing where I've studied and man, I'm pretty confident. No, 
you can know for sure. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. It is a spiritual thing going on. And you can use that when you're talking to other religious people. Say, well, you, can, you can't really know for sure. It's like, wait a minute, this sounds pretty black and white. I had <laughs> one priest actually tell me, well, I don't, I don't think it's really that black and white of an issue. I said, well, I don't think you can get more black and white. Oh he goodness. that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son hath not life. The Bible is very clear, and it is black and white. It is not confusing, and we can have the assurance. Jay, before we uh, need to uh, sign off here, you made a deal with God. You know, we were laughing off air. A lot of people make deals with the devil, right? But you made a deal with God, and explain how that has helped you and what that was all about. Sure, I'll give you the thumbnail version. <laughs> I base, I basically said, okay, God, here's the deal. Again, he, he, he doesn't owe me anything. He doesn't need to make a deal, but he, it was kind of tongue-in-cheek. Here's the deal. If you do two things for me, I will do one. If you, f- first and foremost, let me know. Anytime you want me to witness to someone, you make it clear in my spirit, this is the person where I kind of I sense that. You make that clear, and then secondarily, you give me some kind of a natural opening to share so I don't just have to turn to them, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? Just some fairly natural way to smoothly get into the conversation. If you help me with that, I will jump on that every single time. Wow. And we don't have time for all the examples, but every single time I've prayed that prayer, God has brought someone in my path, and I'm, I just start smiling because I can sense it right away. It's so clear. And then something comes up where it's like, oh, this will be pretty easy to start to get into this conversation. So the listeners can do the same thing, saying, God, I don't feel prepared for this. I don't feel capable. But you let me know who you want me to witness to and help me have some fairly natural way of getting into the conversation, and they will be faithful to follow through. And God always opens up opportunities for us to share. We just need to be more sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Jay Seeger, starting point project to join his live broadcast and interact and ask a question tomorrow night, 7.30 p.m. Jay, God bless you, brother. We'll talk to you next time. Looking forward to it. Thanks. All right. You're welcome. All right. uh, Coming back, we'll uh, wrap up today's show and we'll tell you what's on tap for the rest of the week. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. The gospel, the power of God unto salvation, uh, it says in Romans. And John 11, 25, 26, another good verse. Uh, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? John 11, 25 and 26. We'll put these verses that we talked about today in the podcast post. And what I mean by that, for those of you that do not listen to the radio, you just download the podcast, we have a blog at standupforthetruth.com, and every podcast is there with often scriptures and links and articles if we if we talk about certain things. That's in the blog post at standupforthetruth.com. So just to clarify, some people have asked, what do you mean it's in the podcast post? All I hear is the audio. Well, it's you got to go to standupforthetruth.com. All right, tomorrow we are talking about spiritual warfare, a very important topic. And uh, my goodness, when darkness increases, light shines the brightest. And that's our job, to be light, but also to make sure that we are equipping Christians for the spiritual and cultural battles we're faced with, to strive to know the truth and to speak the truth in love and to be aware of the spiritual warfare. Talking about Ephesians 6 and other parts of open war is upon us. We're talking about the reality of spiritual warfare tomorrow. God bless you. Thanks for listening. And keep speaking the truth about things that matter.